Welcome to Yorkshire Dance Presents, a podcast series about dance and dementia. Across four episodes, we'll take a look at our dance and music care home project, In Mature Company, a project to tackle social isolation for residents in care homes who are living with dementia. We'll also talk about our research method, Dementia Care Mapping, and talk to some of the people who've been influential in this project so far. We're Lauren and Lily and we work for Yorkshire Dance, a charity which champions the value of dance and its development in Yorkshire. Today we'll be talking to a special guest, Liza Heller, an experienced dementia care mapper. Liza has worked on a previous Yorkshire Dance project called We Danced, which took place in care homes in Sheffield. The project brought together local primary school children with the care home residents. It was due to Liza's work on this project that we asked her to be our mentor during our dementia care mapping journey on the Immature Company project. Firstly, we want to introduce you to dementia care mapping and explain how we're using it within the project. Training in dementia care mapping is provided by the University of Bradford. The research is observational, so we as mappers go into the care home, watch a number of residents and code their behaviours at five minute intervals. It uses a series of codes to categorise behaviours and mood and engagement levels. It looks at individual and group levels of well-being and ill-being before, during and after a creative session. We look for personal enhancers, which are care staff and artist interactions, which promote person-centred care, and personal detractors, which are interactions that undermine person-centred care. We also count the number of moments of touch that we see, as the use of touch is something we wanted to explore during the project and evaluate its impact. The research is observational, so we as mappers go into the care home, watch a number of residents during the session and code their behaviours at five-minute intervals. We also look at how they may be experiencing the care home environment in general. So now over to someone who knows a lot more about this research method, Liza Heller. Hello, Liza. Hello. Hello. Thanks for joining us today. So we're just going to start with um, kind of a little bit more, learn a bit more about yourself. So could you tell us a bit more about how you got involved in this work and a bit about what you do outside of this work as well? Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It's really nice to see you. I'm a nurse by background. I'm retired now, have been for many years. And during the main part of my career, I worked with people with dementia. I became interested in dementia partly through a a historical interest in old people and love for my older relatives as a child and becoming interested in their welfare as a nurse. And I was privileged to be part of a very good daycare centre, which still runs in Sheffield, where I live, and to see that develop and grow and flourish as a place where people with dementia could go and have a happy time and have their individuality and their personhood enhanced. And I was fortunate enough to meet Tom Kitwood. I went on uh, a course that he ran and he introduced me to dementia care mapping. And I went on the, the course to learn to be a dementia care mapper. And it was like seeing care for people with dementia through new eyes. And I felt very excited and very inspired by it and used it a bit whilst I was still working in the daycare centre. And we were lucky enough to have Tom Kitwood come and do a map there himself. And we took on board some of the lessons that we, we uh, learned from that experience. And uh, when I had the opportunity to go and work in the Sheffield Care Trust, 
with a dementia care mapping project. That's what I did. So I was I was doing that up up until I retired and at the same time working part time in the daycare centre towards the end of that time. And I continued after I retired from my full time job. I continued working as a DCM trainer and I've been fortunate enough to be involved in various projects. Um, And this is the latest that the We Danced project has been a really exciting project to be part of. Great, thank you. And um, so you mentioned Tom Kitwood there, who I think is kind of a pioneer really in dementia care research. Can you tell us a little bit about the background and history of dementia care mapping and how you know that that came about? Yes, Tom Kitwood was working at the University of Bradford as a psychologist, a psychology lecturer, and he was asked by a daycare centre in Bradford if he could do an evaluation of their dementia care. And he looked around for the research tools that might be used, and he didn't find anything that he felt was appropriate to look at the care of those people with dementia, because what he saw was tools that would tell us um, how many staff there were, how many clients there were, how long they were there, what the activities were that were offered, um, how people were transported to and fro, and something of what they did during the day, but nothing about their well-being and their welfare in that centre. So he devised, with his colleague Kathleen Bredin, he devised dementia care mapping. And as, as that tool that has developed from that beginning to something that is widely known now and acknowledged by the um, by the government. Um, there's a, um, a a document that's adopted by the National Institute for Clinical Excellence for um, evaluating dementia care. So it's grown from that very small beginning to something that's international, not just nationally but internationally recognised. That's great. And we get to use it in this project, which is also very exciting, yeah. which is good. Yeah. Um, kind of, um, so I guess it, it'd be quite nice to sort of talk a little bit about what we've we found in our project. And um, kind of in phase one um, of Immature Company, we only mapped the creative sessions, whereas in phase two, which is the one we've just completed, we made sure that we spent significant amount of time mapping before and after the sessions and observing the residents um, so we could provide a, a comparison between what happens when stimulating activity, creative activity is happening and when there's just day-to-day care. And an example, we mapped a lady called Rosemary, um, who usually engages well with the session. And during the session, she was she was often mapped quite um, considerably in a high mood or positive mood with a high level of engagement. And she enjoyed singing and, and playing instruments. And she was fairly active and mobile, and she did really enjoy social interaction with the artists and also her fellow residents too. But then kind of post-session, Rosie's mood and engagement level decreased quite a lot, and she was usually mapped in a fairly neutral mood with intermittent engagement. And she was often, she'd often fall asleep after the session in her chair. So we knew that, that Rosie had the potential to experience these high levels of well-being, but we couldn't map any evidence to prove that the creative session might have been having any lasting impact on Rosemary's um, well-being. 
So I guess what we'd like to know is if when you've mapped on previous projects before, when you've mapped in, in other care homes, have you found anything similar to that in terms of having things having a lasting impact? And how how might you explain that high level of well-being in a creative session to that dramatic drop post session? Yeah, well, I think that's really interesting observation. And I think it varies. And I've also done a similar thing in both with this project and with other projects of mapping whilst the intervention is happening and mapping before, then during the intervention and then after, and then also mapping on a on the same day of the week, on a week where the intervention wasn't present. And I think that your observation is very common, that during any kind of intervention, um, and certainly I saw it with the dance project, that people kind of came to life and were engaged. And as you talk about people's well-being, everything about them changed really during the intervention. And then for some people, they um, then at the end of the session, that seemed there didn't seem to be any lasting effect. I think it's very hard to know. I think dementia care mapping doesn't pick up everything. And I do think that um, one example I have from my maps of the um, in the early days of this project, when there was a care home in Sheffield um, with the dance, where the dance intervention was going in, um, one lady clearly remembered the session from one week to the next. And you wouldn't necessarily have known that from any conversation with her or any observation. But as soon as it happened, as soon as it started to happen, oh, here are those lovely dancers. So there was a memory, but it was in the moment. And I think that's something about dementia that we have learned over time. And partly dementia care mapping has helped us to learn this, is that the feelings are very present. So the cognitive impairment can mean that somebody's ability to remember or imagine in the future, those people are coming. That may mean nothing. When they're there, oh, these people, because the the visual stimulus, the words, the touch, whatever it is, produces the feeling. And so then there is a recognition. But I think one of the tragic things about dementia is that very often then those moments appear to have gone once they once they have stopped once they have finished but we don't know that and i think that there is often a glimmer of something um and it can happen in recognition of faces recognition of um music tunes and i saw it repeatedly in the we danced project over over the weeks the same introduction song and people woke up recognized that this was their session and started to join in and move about because something had stimulated a recognition not necessarily a memory but somehow a recognition that this was something that was enjoyable and to be engaged with so i think that it's it's really hard for us to know i think the evidence very often is not there that anything has been re- retained. And I think that it would need quite a, quite a detailed piece of research. And one of the things that does happen in dementia care mapping is, um, do, do, does this intervention 
actually reduce levels of anxiety, levels of depression, levels of um, agitation or, or whatever. And that it, you would need to do that really to know about the legacy of of the of that specific intervention. My own feeling is that, and it's not through DCM and it's not scientific, but it's through experience that the more you do positive intervention of any kind, the higher that well-being generally is in life. And that's the same for all of us. And I think in people with dementia, if it's repeated, if it's if the same levels of well-being are reached, then I think during the intervention, I mean, then I think that we can observe that well-being is increased generally. But it would need a bigger period, of, a bigger research project than you've been allowed to have to, to tell us that, really. Yeah, yeah I think we, uh, we, we kind of discovered a few things, um, particularly in year two of the project. Um, so in year one, we just mapped the creative sessions themselves. In year two of the project, we decided we'd do a couple of control maps before going in to do the project. So we just kind of went in when no creative activity was taking place and kind of looked for kind of a little example, basically, of kind of normal day to day life in a care home. So yeah, that's kind of the only example we've got to, to go on is that kind of couple of control maps this year. But we already from that data saw a couple of things that were really interesting. So, for example, uh, we mapped one resident called David, who during the control mapped slept for 74% of the time. So his potential for well-being was very low, obviously, during that period. Um, and then when he was awake, he was in either a neutral mood with intermittent engagement or he was showing small signs of quite a negative mood and being a bit withdrawn as well. And then a few weeks later, the creative session started taking place. And David didn't sleep at all um, during any of those sessions that we mapped him in. So it will be six sessions in total that we mapped. Um, and he spent 58% of his time uh, displaying behaviours that have a high potential for well-being. So such as dancing, playing an instrument, singing and social interactions with others as well. So I think that's the kind of evidence that we're basing it on, just kind of that small amount of data. But I think already that that shows really positive things, doesn't it? Yes. Absolutely. And then just kind of from your point of view, because you've obviously mapped uh, just kind of normal care and also mapped arts um, sessions as well. So have you done like control maps? Is that something you've always done kind of when you've been mapping? And kind of what would you say is the have you seen differences between those kind of normal day to day care settings? Well, I guess that in the in the early days of, of when I was using mapping, I was using it for practice development. So what we were doing was observing that the care and the effects on the person, on the people receiving care and feeding back to the staff in order to give them feedback about how their day-to-day -day care affected those people. And as dementia care mapping has developed, we have, we have concentrated more on the positive things that happen. So the personal enhancers, for instance, which now are a common part, they're now an integral part of dementia care mapping process and, and what's fed back, they didn't exist as that at the beginning. It was really much more focused on the things that we could do better. 
Um, but because of the, the way that dementia care mapping has developed as a practice development tool, dementia care mapping has enabled staff teams to see what it is that works well for the care in their care settings. So in a care setting where there wasn't any project going in, where there wasn't an intervention of any particular creative kind, we might see small episodes of creativity in the care, whatever that might be. That might be somebody taking someone by the arm and suggesting that they go to the toilet and doing a a song and dance on the way to the toilet. And that could be seen and evidence could then be given to the staff that that is a that is a way that that person's well-being was raised. It might have been a small episode, it might not have lasted long, but their well-being was raised. Some kind interventions over lunchtime where somebody sat and talked with someone whilst they ate or whilst they were being fed even, raised someone's well-being. And those, so those creative episodes of care were the ones that we were able to feed back to staff to say, these are what helps people to feel human, to still stay in touch with the world, to still stay with a, with a, a higher well-being than just neutral or feeling quite bad, which is low well-being. And so when I came to observe places where there were particular interventions, like with your project, yes, doing a control map was really useful, really important. And in the first uh, lot of of work that I did with the project, um, it was very clear from one of the um, maps that I did on a day when there was, they used to go in on a Tuesday, the dance intervention happened on a Tuesday. So I went on a Tuesday when it wasn't happening. And there was a completely different atmosphere in the in the lounge. Um, and it was useful for the staff to be able to to see that, to know that the the intervent that the, the intervention that happened when the dance project came in was observed. I mean they could tell, they could see it with their own eyes, but it was there it was in black and white. They could see what happened. People woke up, as you said, David did. People um, there was one lady who, when I mapped her on the day when there was no intervention at all, um, was, I would say, in distress for most of the time and had a quite a low uh, well-being score and was complaining about a theft, which almost certainly didn't happen. Um the person in the chair next to her, she said, had stolen her knickers and had put, seen, put this pair of knickers that didn't belong to her in her handbag. And she worried about that for almost the whole time of the two hours that I was there. She got her handbag and took out this pair of knickers, which she didn't like the look of, and again repeated that her neighbour had stolen her knickers. When she was with the dance project, she was the life and soul of the party. She was, here they come, she clapped, she was the first to get up to dance, she encouraged other residents to dance, she asked for particular songs, she responded to everything in a really positive way. She was one of those people they had to make sure they concentrated on other people because she was so engaged with it, like two completely different people. And that's really useful information because this was something that fed her in a way that life 
in the care home without it wasn't doing. Um, so the the lesson for the care home then was let's try and find more of those things. Can we see if there are any other things? And certainly for the We Dance project, um, yeah, doing it, keep doing more of it. I think that yeah, like you say, that's it's so interesting to see what happens in daily life when there isn't some stimulated activity taking place and how that can change a person person's day entirely and that actually we underestimate the importance of those moments of creativity no matter how small or big and how much they can change that person um their their feeling their well-being how their day goes how they interact with others all of those things so I think it's it's really interesting for us um I kind of want to ask you and, and you've spoken quite a bit about this already but I think it would be interesting to sort of hear about how you think dance in particular and um, can impact on a resident's well-being from from what you've seen. And and maybe even um, we, we haven't really mentioned how, um, kind of behaviour codes and how we we talk about that. So if you wanted to explain a bit about what that or how dance can encourage those positive behaviour codes as well, that would be really interesting. So, yes, you've mentioned the behaviour codes and well and ill being. So. Um, what we're doing when we're mapping, we call it mapping, and what comes out of it is looks a bit like a map of someone's period of time, their day or their number of hours, whatever it is we've been observing. And we observe um, a num- we observe the whole setting, but we're particularly focusing on an indi- on individual people, and we are recording every five minutes a code a code for what they, what we observe them to be engaged in doing or not doing. So like uh, Lauren mentioned earlier on that David slept for a certain high proportion of the time during one of the maps. And what would have, have happened then would be that Lauren would have been observing David and recording every five minutes. He is still asleep. He hasn't woken, hasn't woken at all during that time. During that whole five minutes, he's been asleep. So that's what we're recording. That's why you can say with confidence he was asleep for 78% of his time. If he was engaged during the dance session, you would be recording what he was doing there. So it might be that he was singing. It might be that he was dancing. It might be that he was shaking a, a tambourine or some other musical instrument. It might be that he was talking with somebody else. It also might be that he was holding hands or moving his hand with somebody else. And this is something really important that the dance project has highlighted, which is we don't have a code for touch. And I know that one of the aims of the project was to look at the effect of touch on older people in care homes. And unfortunately, DCM hasn't yet got a code for touch. So the advice that we we gained from Bradford was this is... um, a form of um, interaction so that when you have an interaction with touch, you you put the code for interaction, which is A for articulation, and you put a little T beside it so that we know that during that time, that interaction was touch. And um, one of the beautiful things that I've seen in the dance project is people who who appear to be asleep, but who are, are actually withdrawn. And their code would be not sleep because they're not actually asleep, but it would be C, which is a withdrawn. The C stands for cool, which means they're 
they're in a cool place that isn't warm and it isn't connected. And if that is um, interrupted during the five minutes, then the code that's um, recorded is the, the thing that happened. And in one example that I can remember, a person was sitting very much as if they were asleep, but was not asleep. They were withdrawn. And that person, in a way, was, was sort of saying, I'm not part of this, just keeping very much to themselves. And during the, the, the introductory song was, was playing and the dancers were moving around. And the dancer that I was observing at, alongside the people there came and knelt right down on the floor and had to really fold themselves up to be really low down so that they were below the level of that, that lady's knees until he caught her eye. And he caught her eye and he had his hand up in a gesture of greeting, really, not close to her, but close to himself. And she lifted her hand and put her fingers against his hand. And that, um, that was, was an interaction with touch. And it was a definite gesture of hello, acknowledgement, connection, engagement. And so what we're coding there is from that C, which is really a state of ill-being. Nobody wants to be withdrawn all the time. We all need to withdraw sometimes, but hopefully not in a negative way. From that negative state, that lady was seen to move into a positive state of connection. And so the code that the mapper would record, and in this case that I recorded, was a, um, a state of well-being because she had actually acknowledged this person to be there. She'd seen his hand, she caught his eye, and they were connected. One of the most beautiful moments in the, in the whole project, I have to say, because after that, she then responded much more readily. Lovely example. And I think we found, because we, uh, similarly, we found it hard to, to kind of look at the impact of touch because of this kind of lack of official coding around it. So when you kind of told us about adding this kind of little T next to the different behaviours, it really kind of increased the value of the data that we were finding because you had that extra kind of context, I suppose. And Lily did kind of a massive bit of kind of research, adding up all the moments of touch across the entire phase two of the project. And you could, you could see a direct correlation between touch, when touch happened with whatever behaviour category code it was, and the well-being of the person. And then also see things like um, when people were more withdrawn, those people got more moments of touch from the artists. And that was a subconscious thing that the artists were obviously doing, using touch as a way to try and bring that person kind of out of that withdrawal and try and include them in the session. You know, the artist wasn't thinking, oh, they're withdrawn, so therefore I'm going to go hold their hand. It's just a subconscious thing that they were doing, but we definitely found quite a lot of interesting data about that. And those people that are always really enthusiastic, really engaged, were getting less touch kind of as a result because it wasn't being used as a tool to kind of bring them into the session. Right. Really interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yes. And we also, during the creative sessions, we, we observed actually, it's interesting we talk about this, um, double the amount of moments of touch um, in a creative session than when a control map is happening. 
um, which is actually when the control map is happening, there isn't any creative activity. So we're seeing that those moments of touch double in those creative sessions, which sort of just shows that how the dance sessions foster that that it, that moment of articulation in a totally different way than what maybe happens in in regular in a regular day. And I, I think that's that's super interesting for us to to have picked up. Yes. Have you ever um have you ever looked at kind of the impact of touch more generally or and does your experience of touch and what you've seen relate to what to our findings? You've kind of mentioned that one moment, but in, in kind of when you're mapping touch generally, um or when you're mapping care homes generally, sorry, how does touch come into it outside of the creative sessions? That's a really interesting question. I think that uh, one of the reasons why we haven't got touch as a specific code is because um, dementia care is developing and has developed from a position where touch was traditionally almost always functional. So you would touch someone to wake them. You would touch someone to um, draw their attention to something if you if you were giving them a drink or if you were giving them medication or if you wanted to say something to them. Um, you you would um, people would be touched as they were held whilst they were walking or whilst any kind of physical care was being administered. But otherwise, touch was not generally observed and it was clearly used in a not as a functional thing by some care workers um just holding someone's hand if they look sad um putting an arm around someone um during a conversation if someone was expressing feelings of um you know sadness or anxiety touch was used but i think that Generally, we we have not thought about touch as being the positive thing that your dance experience clearly demonstrates. And I think that in, in our lives, we kind of take it for granted unless we're feeling very lonely. And during lockdown, I think we've noticed how much we're missing it. And I just the other day, uh, a picnic was organised for a small group of people outside and somebody arrived late and I got up from the from the ground to greet her and she thought that I was going to go towards her to give her a hug. And it just gave me a real shock to my system of this is what we can't do at the moment. We can't. And I I think I mentioned that because for people as they get older and they lose their peers, they lose perhaps a spouse and um, partners and siblings and the family has perhaps moved away. There is much less touch in their lives. And if you go into a care home, then you're going to very much rely on the touch of the people in the care home. And if that is restricted to the functional type of touch, then that's very lonely and sad for that person. But I think there are exceptions and I think that there are some times and some people who clearly understand the importance of touch and who who use it um as a way of connecting in a very natural way 
having said that, obviously we have to be careful because not every individual wants to leap up and hug their <laughs> their friends, um, and some people are, are much more um, uh, careful about how they how they touch other people, and because of their life experience, may have had bad experience of touch, and that may be something they're quite wary of. So there's a deal of sensitivity which is one of the reasons why the dance is so brilliant, because even if you're someone who's had bad experience of touch, you know that in this situation, we're just holding hands to dance. This is a dance. So we're, this is a safe kind of touch, which is why it's so lovely to see it and why more of it really needs to happen, because I think people's interpretation of touch can be skewed if they're in a, in a lonely, bad place inside themselves. Whereas if it's a dance session and there's music playing and they can see other people touching, it's not just them, they can see other people holding hands, it feels safer. And it's a really important part of life, I think. Absolutely. Something that I think we've probably, we've all been missing quite a lot during this time. So yeah, I think... It's, it, I can't quite imagine what touch, what, what it's been like in care homes and not, um, and feeling like you maybe only get touch once a week in, in a session and also not being able to see your family. And that might be where you also get your touch as well. And that moment of nourishment, it's, it's, it's really hard. It would be really interesting to know how you think that, um, this research that, that we're doing as part of this project can potentially have a, a wider impact in health and, and care quality research more generally. Um, and that's that's something that I think we've we've been interested in trying to figure out where we place this research. Because um, for us, we feel very much like um, customer care mapping is used very much about, like you say, changing care practices. And and this we're using it as a tool to sort of um, to, to show the efficacy of of a dance project, but also to use it so we can constantly adapt our practices as well. But in the arts world. So where do you think this research might sit? within that wider practice of of health and care research? It's a very good question. Um, And I think it's a really important one because I think what you've done is to sort of take a leap of faith in a way um, because music and dance, a lot of us who've been around for a long time have always known that music and dance quite often ways of reaching people where other things, it's much harder. And there is so much evidence now from the project that you've been involved in that dance is is a brilliant way to be connected. And I think that um, the more that is known about it, the better. And I think that um, dissemination of this project, so things like this podcast, is wonderful. It's a really good way of doing it. Um, Writing articles, however simple, short, straightforward. There is, there's a variety of journals um, from the, the sort of um, the monthly journal that, uh, that care, care homes and care practice areas will almost certainly have on their shelves on a regular basis. And a, a very short article in there can really help and inspire people. Um, more academic articles where there, there is more rigorous, where they're peer reviewed and there's a more rigorous view of your research can also really help because I think that 
<laughs> an organisation. And I think that the, the We Dance project and Yorkshire Dance all together is a very good example of an organisation which really took dementia care mapping on board. Because I was kind of shipped in from outside through a friend, Richard Coton, who was um, a contact of, of one of your colleagues. I'm not sure whether it was Hannah or um, and he's an old friend of mine, somebody I worked with when he was a very young student. Um, and so dance has been um, uh, something that um, has been known about in in the world of care for, for quite a long time. But I think that actually giving an example of your project, which is supported by you're right throughout the organization so that when you were allowed you know, you were put forward to go on the training yourselves from your organization rather than having someone come in from outside to do it that really demonstrated how committed the organization was to this to doing this and to improving as you say not just the lives of the people that you were working with with the intervention but also your yourselves and your colleagues and their ways of intervening and their ways of delivering that session. So I think that that's a really important message for that needs to be disseminated. And it can be. And I think that um, I looked on the web on your website recently, and there's a lovely little interview with one of the activities workers in a care home in Sheffield, who's clearly so enthusiastic because she's somebody who wants good things to happen and for this project to come into that care home was like oh yeah good this is what we need and she took it on board she supported it she joined in with it and she's prepared to talk about it so that kind of thing will encourage other people because everybody that works in a care home wants the right thing for the people that they care for um you know there's a lot of awful things said about care work and care homes and They've had a really, really bad time over the last few months with COVID um, and they're getting blamed for, for the increase in, in the numbers of coronavirus. You know, the, um, and that's because they were not so properly supported to take care and take the precautions that were needed to be taken. Um, so th things like this going into those care settings will be just wonderful. The more that it can happen, the better. And I think, you know, putting in, putting out podcasts, being on whatever it is media that you can have access to, um, dissemination of it. And I guess as well, being aware that there are other arts projects out there and really being connect, you know, having a look and connecting with those things and finding out what other arts projects are doing. That may not be necessarily your job, but for it to be part of a movement, I think, to increase the numbers of brilliant things that happen in care homes, that can happen in care homes. I don't know if you were aware, actually, Liza, but earlier on in lockdown, um, we did manage to run some sessions. So some of the artists working on in, in Mitchell Company managed to run some sessions outside a couple of the care homes that we've worked in previously. Obviously, it wasn't something that we were there mapping on, no. um, but it was the, the artists were there and the kind of residents were outside social distancing. So it was really nice that we still were able to continue in some way, obviously doing something um, like that. 
we're kind of coming, starting to come into year three of the three-year project, and we're not entirely sure how it's going to look at this moment. Um, but kind of, what do you think the impact of COVID-19 is going to have on creativity in care homes from now on? Wow, that's a big, that's a difficult <laughs> question, a big one. But I think that Things like what you've just described is really important. I think they are really important. And I think there's been a lot of creativity. Seven months ago, I'd never heard of Zoom, for instance. <laughs> Zoom. I thought Zoom was a noise that something, you know, in comic <laughs> Zoom. But now, I mean, I use it every day and it's a brilliant medium. There are, um, I'm involved in, in singing in choir, in choirs, in, in two or three choirs. And one of them is going really, really well. And we've made a recording um, together. And so there's all our faces on the Zoom um, screen and our voices are coming through, not recorded at the same time because Zoom doesn't quite yet do it, can't do it straightforward, in a straightforward way. But the technology has developed to be able to do that. And I think that technology will continue to develop. It has to. And I think that there are ways in which um, people who can use an iPad or a tablet can actually have a visual thing there in front of them on their lap, possibly something that they can interact with. And I've seen that happening before COVID. And I'm sure that it can be a way that people can be encouraged to engage. It will take the people in the care homes to know that they they need to do that and that they can do it but maybe projects like yours can provide something and say would you like to have this in your care home for a day or for, for a few sessions or whatever it is mm -hmm. an, an ipad with something on it um so there are things like that that i i do know can happen and i think as well um the more that knowledge about your project gets known about in care homes, the more that staff in care homes will be encouraged to do their own little bit of whatever it is, even if it is just a little bit of singing or dancing along or touch, more non-functional touch. And I think that the will is there. It, I think the resources very often aren't, but I think the will is there. But it's a very big unknown, isn't it, mm -hmm. what's going to happen? to be honest. It's interesting you talk about that as well, because that's something we've been thinking about is how um, how do we um, continue to map in the world where you might not be able to deliver creative activity and how does how does not being able to touch impact our data as well, which is going to be a, you know, it's going to be a huge thing for us because we're probably not going to be able to map in the same way that we were in year one and two. Um, and I'd be interested to know kind of um, how you think or what you think the future of dementia care mapping looks like and either in this way, but also more generally. And um, how do you think it could change and how do you think it can impact care, care in a more general way as well? So not just COVID related, but, you know, what's missing from it at the moment and what can we do to improve it? I think that dementia care mapping has always developed has always evolved I mean I, as I mentioned earlier on there's been a change quite a quite a dramatic change really of emphasis from what could be done better to 
what is good and what do we want to uphold and and name so on the training that you went on both of you Lauren and Lily you learned about a whole um, range of personal enhancers which are things that staff do to um, to benefit the person's well-being to raise well-being to maintain personhood and they're named they're given names and they're not things that just anybody does naturally very easily um, they are think they are skills that are learned and passed on and in, and modeled really some people it comes more naturally and more easily than others but they can they are learned and i think that they can be learned and encouraged and maintained and promoted through doing dementia care mapping so people can know that they that the the small thing they did like i said dancing on the way to the toilet that something like that can be given a name that that was um in some way facilitating someone to to express themselves and this is given a high it's given a high priority in the in the mapping process in order that that care worker understands that even while for that person for that care worker it might seem like a very small thing it actually has a very big impact and so they will encourage their colleagues to do it by continuing to do it and i think that it's changed as well from um there are new codes since i learned as a mapper so some codes have been introduced which we didn't realize the importance for instance reminiscence um i think probably psychologists knew that one of the things that happened in old age was that people went over their life story a bit but i don't think that in the early days of dementia care mapping it was recognized that reminiscence is can be quite hard for people so they need some help and some prompts and some some guidance and um it needs to be um enabled really and so there is a code now for reminiscence which is g going back that wasn't there when i was learned when i was taught mapping but it was introduced and touch when the next edition comes out touch will be there because of <laughs> your, because of your work really and so it's moving on and one of the things that we know is that it has to it has to remain accessible um dementia care mapping has to remain accessible in order for it to be of any value at all to anybody and so i think what's going to happen is that it will adapt and if we have to do more things on zoom then that's what we'll do and lindsay was telling me lindsay at bradford who is the dementia care mapping lead at bradford university was telling me that they've done their first dementia care mapping training on zoom and it was incredibly successful in spite of skepticism of the trainers at first because how would you do all that you know which is so closely observed in the training room but they did it and they got good results from the from the participants and she also said that there are advantages because people are in their own room and they have a break they're reflecting there are actually reflection was easier for people quite often than when they're in the classroom um and so their reflection in their writing was was of a higher quality overall in general than 
quite a lot of courses. So that's something that's really heartening that that we know that it's not ideal to be in our separate rooms and not be able to give each other a hug or whatever it is we want to do. But we can still do those trainings and we we can, there are maybe some even some advantages. So I think that that will continue. And I hope that, um, you know, people will still continue to want to go on the courses. And I think in in terms of mapping, that's also got to adapt. That's also got to be continued to we've somehow got to find ways of making it accessible and there are wonderful stories aren't there of care homes where certainly in Sheffield there are two care homes where people have the care staff have decided that in order to keep their residents and themselves safe they've got to live there so they've gone and lived there Mm -hmm. and during the summer they lived in tents in the garden and (laughs) as rooms have become available staff are living in the rooms in order to keep the care home safe Um, so those kind of amazing things do happen and they will continue to happen um, that, and mapping will continue to happen where, where there's a will. Unfortunately, we're coming to the end of this podcast, Liza, but we, at the end of each of our episodes, we're wanting to ask all of our guests a similar question. Um, so this might be hard for you because you have a lot of experience in this setting. But if you had to choose, what's your favourite standout moment that you've seen in a care home? Well, I think I would say I would say that the, the moment that I thought of immediately was was during this project of um, a, a lady who had been extremely withdrawn during the during the control map. So throughout the Tuesday morning that I was there from about half past nine till one, she was really withdrawn, didn't respond. Tea trolley came in. She responded yes to a cup of tea. She didn't drink her tea. It stayed on the side, got cold, got taken away. Then lunch came. She was really withdrawn all the time, pretty much. And during the session where the children came in, she responded to the children in a way that was really moving and remembered the name of the child that she'd had a little letter from the previous week and yeah i found i found that incredibly moving really that she she was connected in the moment completely but it also there was a memory of a previous moment that had also been joyful and fulfilling for her in a really connected time. So it felt, even though we ha- even though we can't do this more than once a fortnight, it's well worth doing once a fortnight because there she is again <laughs> with her with this lovely smile, and it was a standout moment. Amazing! That's a lovely one. That's so nice, and it's nice that it's part of something that we've we've been a part of as well so that's even more special (laughs) um thank you so much Liza for your time and also your insights it's been I think it's been really interesting for us both for sure to hear how you talk about this work and has definitely inspired us to constantly um adapt and and change and learn more and want to just talk about this this work even more so and it feels really important now more so than ever to talk about this learning and to talk about how important arts and music and dance is 
for people living with dementia. So thank you for that. Um, tune in to uh, episode four where um, we'll be looking at learning and legacy. Um, and that will be, we'll have some lovely guests there as well during that episode. So thanks again, Liza. And thank you for listening to episode three of Yorkshire Dance Presents. <laughs>